Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. Episode 21, welcome back. A few good physios. Lucky 21, here we are. Lucky 21, <laughs> we're old enough to drink. We're 21 years old. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're back after last episode, welcome back. I'm, I'm happy you guys, we're happy you're here, uh, even though we had that nice experience last week. Uh, today we're going to do uh, what we like to usually do when we're without a guest, a little bit of a review, and then we'll touch on some subjects. Um, Real quick, wanted to go over last night was a, uh, an incredible experience. I, I was able to do a lecture at uh, Columbia University uh, regarding strength conditioning, and it's uh, it's uh, possibly going to go into something else. But right now, it's just going to be or it's just a lecture. Had a good response from the students. Uh, it was very interesting overall to to teach that information to them. And it was also interesting to get that information back in terms of the feedback. No, I think it's a, a life of work for at least the last 15 years to be able for Lee to be able to um, to teach a, a topic he's so passionate about that I'm passionate about as well. But mm. you know, in school, we always used to have these talks about the, this gap of just basic exercise, um, basic exercise information, and I wouldn't say basic. I would say very specific strength and conditioning, which in most PT programs, doesn't exist. Right. Um, there's a Therex. I think there was a Therex class we took, which was like, yeah. I don't know, maybe one semester, a bit dated. Um, yeah. And then our exercise physiology class, also, you know, great information, but the clinical relevance was kind of lacking. Right. Um, so just, yeah, man, that's good stuff. And how... Oh, Lee and I were talking about the preparation for, for mm. actually teaching. Um, it, it's pretty intense, and the ratio is a lot more than I thought. I, I talked to several professors, and uh, I'm thinking one of them in particular um, who I know, and it's usually a five-to-one ratio. So for every hour that you teach, you're usually going to prepare for five hours. And that's uh, obviously you're on the level of, um, you know, the graduate level. You're not talking about... Even undergraduate, I'm sure you would prepare the same. You want to prevent, uh, present the right amount of research. You want to put together something that's kind of um, seamless in terms of the material. Uh, and then also you want to include all the aspects of teaching. So you got the visual visual part of it. you got the auditory. you got the uh, kinesiological part. Right. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> that, was a, that was a long word, man. Kinesiological. Um, you want to get them to move a little bit, especially, hey, <laughs> <laughs> especially um, if it's a physical therapy program. And right now, it's the, the, these students were, um, they're, they're, they're going to be graduating soon. This is, they were in a sports elective class. So the people who were there were already interested in sports, interested in outpatient orthopedics. And a lot of them were already CSCS certified. 
um, which I, I saw right away when they whipped out their computers and they had the stickers on the back of their computer. Um, so a lot of them had the stickers out. Yeah, they're just trying to let you know, like, like hey, I know what you're talking about. Uh, moving along. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Um, so that's cool. And uh, yeah, so I totally agree. Like in school, there's that gap. You got Therex, you got the excess fizz. Those two things don't really touch on like, all right, if you want to get a person in the gym, or if you want to just do basic exercise with them, squats, deadlifts, whatever it is then how do you go about even teaching the patterning to the people? What would you look for? Um, and a lot of them found that helpful. When we started doing the squats and deadlift part, the movement part, um, the cues that we were looking at and trying to go over, that seemed to be new for them. So I, I, I thought that was good, and I hope that the school finds it valuable enough to include it into the curriculum. But, of course, there's so many factors you got to look at. The finances, you got to look at the time period, you got to look at what's already there and what they want to include. No, it's cool. So. It's cool that, I mean, one of the <clears throat> things that, I mean, one of the options that was given to us after graduating from a doctoral program was the ability to obviously treat, but to teach. And um, whatever domain you choose, whether it's um, just clinical practice, uh, education and teaching, or on the other far end of it, that Lee's actually really interested in is research. Right. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and research. No, but um, oh, but but thinking of those three, and all of them are very different, right? I mean, yes. we, we would put, uh, there's a, it's a total different emphasis, whether, you know, you are looking at RCTs or creating RCTs or creating a lecture or just teaching someone how to squat. But I think it's it's pretty cool that you're, um, you're doing what you're doing. Um, also, with the teaching of a squat, the teaching of a deadlift, you hear so many patients that have gone through other PT practices or in PT in general, like, yeah, they taught me a bunch of exercises. They gave me a handout. I did that for five or six weeks. And then it was like ready to graduate. Mm. And then what? So where mm. is the PT in that graduation? And I mean, Lee and I have also always discussed this, and I think it was probably one of our driving forces in PT school is to be able to see that person through another level, which is, you know, the strength and conditioning world, fitness in general. Um, but after the clamshell and <laughs> after the single leg balance, then what? And how long do you stick with those activating or awareness building exercises, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a leap. I used to see it in the clinic, you know, where people were coming for six to eight weeks and the therapist was like, all right, I think you're ready. And then the patient asked for what? You know, oh, well, you got to, yeah, well then, you know, and it's like, well, just, you could just go to regular exercise. And what does that, what does that mean? You know, is it, is it a bar class? Is it yoga? Is it Pilates? Is it CrossFit? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, kettlebell training? Is it, you know, jujitsu, whatever. We don't really have to find that, but um, yeah. And that was that was a, sp a specific question that was asked that I appreciated. Is like, what what is it that you find is different having this knowledge and treatment, and how do you apply it? So, um, the professor asked that, and and I, I, you know, instinctually said that that conversation happens on the eval. So right away, I talked to them about end goals, and it's always in relation to what they are looking to get back to if they're looking to get back to marathon training looking get to get back to being able to lift their baby whatever it is it's in relation to that and so sometimes that says i i can help you get to the whole timeline so we'll get you decreased pain uh 
introduce those awareness exercises and then build your capacity. So that that's such a, a key word is are you building the patient's capacity before they leave you completely to reduce the likelihood of that injury happening again? And, and if you're not, then you have to look at your program or what you're educating the patient about because you don't have to be versed in it, but you should at least say, well, this is something that I know some people who can help you with and I'm going to help you transition them by communicating to them, also showing you the base movements, da da da. So I think if the strength, uh, sorry, the physical therapist has that strength conditioning knowledge, it's going to be a lot more seamless and easy, and you're going to build a really great relationship with that patient. We keep talking about the relationship that's and trust. You're going to have a successful treatment. I was just going to mention with the work capacity, uh, also. Not only is a person ready for whatever task they're <clears throat> ready to move into, but they're building com- as they're building that capacity week to week, day to day, session to session. They're building confidence in that you know, in that movement. I mean, so from a pain science perspective, you're throwing you know a stimulus that's non-threatening that eventually will uh, translate to your brain not reacting as much. And I, and I know I'm, I'm, that was a bit of a tangent. No, but, no. Um, this is perfect. I'm pulling something up. But keep going, man. Yeah, this so is... it's um, it's something that we often, it's, it's just missed. And I think what Lee's been doing, and I think there's a couple of other individuals that now have strength and conditioning electives within a doctoral program, hopefully it becomes part of like the core curriculum. I mean, it... it I don't even think it should be elective. Obviously, we're talking about different populations. We're talking an outpatient orthopedic, quote, sports right. therapy, if you want to call it that. Um, you would think that this is involved because a lot of people don't come to us and have, well, they, they come to us for a whole assortment of stuff, but often it's during their activity. Uh, example being, well, when I run, my knee hurts. If I'm walking, I'm fine, mm-hmm. but it just hurts like after two miles of running. So, yeah, that's a sport. That that's somebody that um, is not going to benefit much from being on a table, opening and closing their legs, or squeezing yeah. their, you know, or using ankle weights for that matter. <laughs> but right. um, yeah, they're not really learning too much. I, I want to go back to what you said when you're working with that patient and you're going through building their capacity, and then you're gaining they're they're gaining confidence of yes. movement. So this was an, an incredible article that was related to the lecture that I did, and I sent it to all the students, and it was a review basically of why why. Why does strength training reduce acute injuries and overuse injuries? And they actually showed it actually prevented it. And they they hypothesize on mechanisms. So this is a a long quote, but I'm going to read it anyways. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the key one. Go for it. In in regards to acute injuries, why does it prevent? We hypothesize that the indirect acute injury prevention effect works through the mechanisms of strength training-related carryover effect with improved coordination Enhanced technique in training slash match situations, strengthening of adjacent tissues, reducing critical joint loads, and better psychological perception of high risk situations. Oh, that is very jujitsu y. No, no, no. It's so true, man. Right? It's got so uh, many elements. That, that, that does, man. But it's so cool. So like they broke it down and, and these were these were scientists. So <laughs> Yeah. That uh, that is actually you gotta send me that. That is really cool. Will. Uh, so I'll put this in the show notes too. Um, strength training. This the the title of the article is "Strength Training as Superior Dose Dependent and Safe Prevention of Acute and Overuse Sports 
injuries, a systematic review of qualitative analysis and meta-analysis. I mean, that's, that's for every, anyone who does research, you're like, that's a Gold nice standard. article. Gold standard <laughs> yeah. and systematic, qualitative, and I think the year meta. It, 2018. It's so Fresh recent. Fresh off the press. <laughs> Still, the ink is wet here. It's uh, crazy. <laughs> that's actually really, that's Isn't really that cool? cool, man. That's a, yeah. Who are the authors? No, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I, I no, could, we have it. I want to definitely it, put that up. It's some Swedes, I think. They look like, one one guy's name is Thor. Um, so I'll, I'll put powerful. it in the, in the show no, notes. No. <laughs> but it was cool. So I, I thought that was really cool. And that related to capacity, too. So, oh, the, so th- these, these, um, these Ivy Leaguers got a good dose of. I hope so, man. I, you know, I'm I'm very hard on myself when it comes to this stuff. And luckily, I had a friend who sat in, and another friend who came in at the end, and they gave me some good objective feedback. And they both said that they thought it went well. And I, I don't, I don't think it went well in in my perception of things because I wanted, yeah, I don't know what my expectation. Was. My expectations were like this mass excitement but it, it, on very very unrealistic expectations <laughs> like go go <laughs> yeah. show me the squad again show me right. the squad again he squats like, so oh my god i didn't even know that but like when we when we were in school we learned that there's there's percentages there's always going to be a percentage of people who will never be uh paying attention no that they won't even be in the room right, yeah. <laughs> right. then you'll have like a, a a little bit more percentage of people who are moderately engaged and then another small percentage of people who will absolutely be engaged so those two small percentages are usually the ones that you you look at and you're trying to to get but from what i from what i remember in class when we learned this in uh pt school you actually want to get that middle majority where they're on the fence and so you're trying to gain their attention so i was looking for those people and um i think it was the last class of the day i think they got tired towards the end which i totally understand it's a two it was a two-hour lecture um, and you know, we only got up and moving twice, whereas I would love to get up moving the whole time. Um, but it was fun. I, I had a good time and I hope it, uh, hope that we do another one. Yeah, man. That's <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Again, a life's work, <laughs> a life's work. That's right. So, uh, we had a conversation last week. Eric told me a story that I was interested to talk about on this podcast because I think it's very relevant. Yep. This idea of access to quality care. Access. So, of... I'd say, I mean, throughout throughout our whole PT career, we've been really lucky in the practices we've worked in the sense that uh, the practitioners and owners of the clinics that we've worked have had a network into New York's, you know, most sought after doctors, surgeons, um, and that links into the PTs, right? So this little, this world of, quote, the top-notch elite practitioners. Mm-hmm. So we started our career with a lot of that, and then... The demographic changed a little, uh, where the insurance business changed, and we got a little of ev- a kaleidoscope of everything and uh, within the practice. Of recently, on my own, uh, I've been focusing on at a network cash-based business, and unfortunately, it's not affordable for everyone here in the city. But some doctors that are referring to me, um, I would say, have the the, the patients have the top access. Um, to our healthcare network mm-hmm. system here in the United States. I mean, they have, you know, they have good health insurance. If their health insurance, even their good health insurance, still has limitations, mm-hmm. lots of limitations, <laughs> as we've discussed at length, which we won't go into. But most of them, and I will quote some of them, saying, 
fuck insurance. Yeah. I'll pay you cash. <laughs> Just I want to make sure you're taken care of so you can take care of me. That's right. End quote. That was mm-hmm. one of my patients that I met in the last year. So anyway, access. Um, these patients have unlimited access to whatever care they need or want. And I was pretty surprised at some of the patients that are walking in, the, the amount of information, that they, the, the kind of information they're getting. I'll give you case in point, 50-year-old, very athletic man. Um, he's in shape. He's been playing basketball for 30 years, 25 years, maybe a little too much by some people's standard, even by his own, five, six days a week. Anyhow, two years ago, he has a knee issue, knee pain, doesn't know what it is, mm. gets an MRI, pretty significant tear. Doctor says, I'm just going to go in and check it out. Gives him a meniscectomy, hmm. pulls out some of his meniscus on the opposite side of where he's having pain. Wow. Lateral knee pain, he takes out the medial meniscus or piece of. And um, three weeks later, the gentleman, you know, the doctor told him, hey, in three weeks, you'll be playing ball again. Three weeks later, the guy said, well, it's three weeks, right? You know, he told me three weeks. He starts to try to, quote, exercise of some sort, flares <laughs> up his knee really bad to the point where two weeks after that, he had to get another MRI. He was couldn't walk. Yeah. Seemed to be a bone bruise where they resected the meniscus. <laughs> so they took his poor uh, insulation how much, out. How much meniscus did they take? Ah, they took. They must have took a chunk because he said, oh, there's some bone, bone on bone. They didn't take it all out. So fast forward to six, excuse me, a year and a half later is where I see him. Uh-huh. Um, clinically, he presented pretty good. He walks, he doesn't have a limp on first glance, but when you slow him down, he definitely has a limp. Uh, a little bit of a Trandellenburg situation as well. Full range of motion, pretty good balance, pretty good strength, little atrophy on the side that's affected. But anyway, he's like, I, I get this random swelling, my knee hurts. You know, I've been told um, that, well, I went to a, at least three or four surgeons, best doctor here, best doctor there, um, some professional um, sport doctors, I'll keep it at that. Mm. Um, and um, doctor told him, you got two options. Uh, the only thing I can do for you is cortisone or knee replacement. Oh my God. So this is a 50-year-old male. In shape. He probably makes a lot of 25-year-olds look out of shape. Right. And I look at and I was like, well, he was like, look, I'm trying to avoid surgery here. I was like, listen, you know, are you walking pain-free? He said, most of the time. All right. Look at your knee. Right. We did a quick test. It's stable. It's in, it, The integrity of his knee is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little growth in the medial meniscus. You can feel that bone overgrowth. Like, there's definitely some um, bone now growing there because of what was performed. They did it on the medial meniscus, medial and he meniscus. had the pain in the lateral side. Right. And now he just has swelling and anterior knee pain. So, you know, the surgery definitely didn't push him in the right direction. Now, mm-hmm. he, he admits that he may have been a little aggressive, but someone should have told him not to be so aggressive. You know, somewhere along that line, something was, in my opinion, somewhat mismanaged early on. And again, it's hard to, I don't want to point any fingers here because there's really no, no fingers to point, but I guess the point of this whole conversation is access. Here's a gentleman that was well-intentioned to get the right, he knew his knee was off, he went to go get help. The first line of defense was some steroids. 
Second line of the fence was a meniscectomy. After that, he's gotten, you know, cortisone, synvisc, cortisone, synvisc. So the last person to see him said, stop with the synvisc. You need some training. You need to develop, you know, your, your muscular control. Stop the cortisone. You're gonna. You're causing yourself more damage. Were you the first PT to see him? Regards. He that? has seen some PTs, but he has admitted that he hasn't really followed through past two or three weeks. Okay. Um, had him doing some basic things that he was already doing with his trainer. Right. The trainer seems to be well versed. You know, he's using a voodoo band. He's got. He's using some bells. He's got single leg stuff. Some pl- mm. So the trainer seems to be doing the right thing, and the trainer's telling him. You need, what you need most is rest. You're doing right. too much. You need to scale it back. So, and I told him, I said, listen, you know, we talked about sleep. He sleeps well. He's, uh, but it's just a matter of, hey, you got to dial it back. And, and again, he was like, you know, maybe I'll never play. You know, one of the doctors said, you, know, you should never be playing basketball for the rest of your life. Oh, I said, God. no. And he was like, yeah, you shouldn't be running on this. You know, soon, you're, you know, you're a perfect candidate for a replacement. I said, listen, man, if you're walking around... You don't need a replacement, no. you know. So I mean, this was mind-boggling to myself because here was a guy with you know unlimited access, and look what he got with all with the best money can buy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it was a really humbling experience, and and again an eye-opening experience that that that's one of a lot of stories of people with you know access, unlimited access to healthcare and 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 that's that's their experience with it and um it's it's pretty you know there's a huge gap here and i think there's a huge opportunity for those of you who are listening myself and lee that are really want to really want to do the right thing by the patient and <clears throat> we don't have any gimmicks to sell we don't have any dependencies to sell them or hey you know you can get better with me and i explained this guy he said hey well, how do i look i said fine you know i was like he's like you think it you think we could fix this? I said, I think your body's going to fix itself, and uh, as all of it, but you got to give it the right opportunity. He looked at me, his eyes was like, I don't think I've given it the right opportunity. I was like, he was like, you know what? I'm not the most patient person. I think I've, but again, he's not a patient person, but a clinician should say, you got to be more patient, buddy. You, you need, you <laughs> yeah, need, you need, because he, he's a, um, he gets what he wants kind of guy. You know, he's just right. this, 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 it. And this, it, as a clinician, we got to step up our game. And we have, if you have a type A, hard driven leader, you got to tell them, hey, that's cool. You have to respect physiology. You have to exp- respect the body. And nine times out of ten, they're going to be like, yes. So, you know, and if you tell them in a very Exactly what you just yeah, said. Yes. You know, <laughs> if, if you were sitting there and you're 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 gaining that respect and you're treating them like a human being, having a conversation, you're not talking down to them, and you exactly. speak to them like that, then they're gonna be like, all right, yeah. But th- that case is like so perfect because, especially that age group, the most like in his symptomatology, you know, I don't know the complete case. I don't. I haven't put my hands on him either. But like from what you tell me, it sounds like he was just like any other active human being at that age who most likely had a degenerative meniscal tear on his medial meniscus. And then when they opened him up or they went in through the scope, they saw it and that guy took it out. Mm. 
but that's not where his pain was. So what we're finding, you know, what we know now through the fidelity study is that that's not best practice when you have a degenerative meniscal tears in the absence of mechanical sy- symptoms. And even then, you don't even, even if he did have mechanical symptoms, it still doesn't matter. So the more like the more conservative management is ideal because there is no difference between a meniscectomy and conservative management. So yeah. now he's in this situation, and the fact that he had both. He said he had cortisone, synvisc, and now there's some research to show. I think I sent it to you about synvisc. Oh. It's not as harmless as everyone thinks. It actually increases the enzymatic activity of degenerative processes, and it depends on how many times you get it, but usually they do it in groups of three. Yeah. So, well, you know, <laughs> we're experts in this. Oh, we're, yeah, we, we love... Um, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, but it, it's, it's I, I make, it makes complete sense that if you squirt a little juice in there... The body's going to respond by saying, "What's this juice? We got to." Mm. I don't know. You know, you whenever you, I'll never forget um, Bronwyn like what twenty years ago, and we were talking about shots, and I was like, "Well, what's the issue?" She was like, "Well, once you compromise the capsule, the body tries to repair that compromise." So, I think I, I I was thinking I was trying to think of an analogy. This might be too dramatic for a cortisone injection, but. I think a cortisone injection to a major joint, shoulder, hip, is like a nuclear warhead to clear some brush in a forest. Like, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage, and you get the brush cleared, but what else happened while you're doing that? Necrosis. Necrosis, the leftover shit. I mean, you keep this, you you keep the forest from, the ecosystem from really growing back fully, and you have this long-term radiation what do you think happens to your joint? Do you think it recovers fully from that? It's it, great. You feel better. You have less symptoms. What do you think is going to happen to you in three months, six months, a year? It's a bandaid. It's it's yeah. um it's an ex you know it's a and not expensive in the cost. I'm sure it is. I'm not sure the cost of a cortisone shot, but expensive in and and the risk. You know. Yeah. Um, but you know this gentleman, uh, I, he's going to do well, and I, I now I, it's it's a I think I've gained his trust initially. I mean, that's always fickle, but um, but the bottom line is, is, as Lee was mentioning before, I can't do this general. I can't do clamshells with him. You know, mm-hmm. I can't. I have to make this basketball and fitness related. Um, and we were talking about plyometrics and when do you incorporate that? And you know, he does have some pain with walking with different footwear. And let's play with the footwear. Oh, I didn't think of that. So. There's all these components, but I all always with this guy. I always bring it back to getting back to the court. There's no reason why you can't do what you love. He was like, if I could play once or twice a week, that would be great. Maybe five is a little much. I said, well, whatever you want. I mean, it's it's not. You're not telling me you want to run a marathon in two hours. You know, it's mm. not. This is recreational activity. But going back to what Lee was saying, making physical therapy relevant to what they actually, what's important to them. Yeah. You know? I saw this incredible graph, and a pyramid graph. Uh, that I think I sent it to you. Um, but basically, it was like, what, what healthcare now is. So the pyramid, at the top of the pyramid, was mm, God, what's yes. most uh, least utilized in healthcare. And then at the bottom of the pyramid is what's most utilized. And so it was in red. And it said, the most expensive tertiary care. And then next one up was like secondary care, a little less expensive. And then the next level up was primary care, not as expensive. And then at the top was prevention. 
So, but prevention includes education. So, like that is least utilized, but yet is the most effective, and it's less expensive. At the bottom, what's most used is that surgical care, that injection, that quick, immediate band aid, potentially quick fix, quick mm-hmm. fix, and it's most used at that point of entry. So, like as soon as a patient goes to see whoever it is, they are like, "Oh, this is what we should do right now. We should do this." Well, why don't you try the other stuff first? Why don't you try the primary care? Why don't you try? conservative management first uh, you know what are the dangers of trying conservative management first is this person buckling in their knee so bad that they're going to fall down the stairs or fall down fall in the street no, no. like that's not what's happening i think i mean it, it, it's a pretty it's a complex topic i think that we've discussed but um there's a cultural aspect of it in the sense that you know the person's going to see a doctor or a, let's say a healthcare practitioner and they they want to they want to get fixed, mm-hmm. and they want a result, and they're going for a reason. Now, it's up to the clinician to kind of say, hey, um, <clears throat> that not realistic, but that's the only tools they have, you know? And right. if they don't get the surgery, if they don't get the shot, if they don't give them, you know, anti-inflammatory, what is the doctor actually doing for them? Right. <clears throat> no, it's true. It, that, that's the other thing, too, is that they... They don't have the other options or that knowledge to um, say, these are the things that we can offer you. It's more like, all right, this is what I know, one or two things. Like the doctor said, I can give you two options, <laughs> which is so ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's like, it's I'm so either going to kill you by a gun or a knife. Like That's, yeah, I'm gonna go with two, that's it. He just told, you know, and and, he's, and I looked at the guy and was like, like, I think there's a lot more options. I think it's just a perspective, you know, Who, right. what what's... Yeah, shift in perspective. Exactly. So um, it, it's 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 interesting to see um, patients with unlimited access to this healthcare system, and still getting a heavy amount of misinformation and and kind of getting the nuclear option mm-hmm. when they could just use a little little tune up. Yeah, you uh, don't you don't have to go nuclear first. Just try to you know walk around the brush for a little while. Why don't you just go and. Uh, Kick some rocks around. That's right. <laughs> you could get on the knees and pull pull out the brush slowly. You, it'll it'll take a little bit more time, but you'll have uh, some solid work done. Anyways, um, no, that's very interesting. Sad, sad but um, you know, hopefully, we could uh, shift the shift the table here and yeah. really get people to think conservatively when it comes to management. Or to, I mean, also if. If one was it, if they were up to date with everything, they would know about the fidelity study. Or maybe if they did, uh, that would suck. And, and they decided to still do this. Um, they should educate the patient. To ma- give them a pamphlet. Say, hey, listen, there's a, this is this information for you to to take. See what you think of that. Like this is these were mass groups of people, large sample size, really well done study, um, and they blinded everybody, including the surgeons, and they went through a sham surgery. <laughs> And the outcomes were no different between these two groups. Crazy. And I actually mentioned that to him. Uh, and we, uh, did he, was he su- surprised? He just shook his head. He's like, I knew I shouldn't have got that fucking surgery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he intuitively felt like he jumped a gun on it. But he was like, it doesn't surprise, you know. He was like, for some reason it doesn't surprise. At the moment, I would have done anything. Mm, and that's it, you know. There it is. At the moment, I would have done anything because I really was in a lot of pain, and most importantly, I wasn't able to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and I wanted to play, and I was like, "Well, let me get this, let me get it fixed." Mm-hmm. 
and he didn't even fix what was a problem. You know, if anything, it caused more of a problem. And I was like, yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I want to have a handout with that study. Yeah. Those those studies, those things, like uh, there should be a handout regarding asymptomatic MRI findings and lumbar pain or lumbar findings. We, we, we talked about that. Definitely in the Fidelity study, the the labral study that did sham surgery, um, this recent strength conditioning study that we came on, um, all those things. I mean, there should be a handout in, in just pain science in general. That's such a uh, an unknown thing and a huge shell shock for patients. We talked about it a little bit last time. But it, commonly, when you start to talk to patients, they're like, what do you mean the brain outputs the pain signal? Like, I don't understand that. So then you go into the whole thing. It's like this huge confluence of factors where your brain is heavily involved. Your your mind is in charge of your nervous system, and your nervous system has sensations, and tissue d- damage does not equal pain, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, this is part of our podcast where we talk about other podcasts. Yes, so this, this is a podcast <laughs> review session. Podcast <laughs> review. Uh, some of our favorite podcasts, definitely including Joe Rogan. Uh, he recently had uh, a, quote, debate with Chris Kresser, who's a licensed uh, acupuncturist, and Dr. Joel Kahn. And, and Chris Kresser, he is globally recognized leader in the fields of ancestral health and paleo nutrition and functional and integrative medicine. Um, and Dr. Joel Kahn is a cardiologist working at a Philly, I believe, and he is a vegan, believes that plant-based nutrition is the most powerful source of preventative medicine on the planet. I'm reading verbatim from the Joe Rogan podcast description. Okay. Um, so it, it, you you heard some of it? Yeah, I heard a majority of it, and it mm-hmm. was um, it was really interesting to hear both of their points, and it's just kind of like this um, establishment, which was a doctor's perspective of, you know, high cholesterol, high saturated fats related to, you know, heart disease, stroke, early death. When it came down to it, mortality was one of the biggest factors. And uh, Chris Kress was saying, hey, you know, it's not necessarily the meat. It's not necessarily fat, saturated fat, or cholesterol. Um, it's a lot of other lifestyle things. Now, to be honest, the co- uh, Dr. Khan does bring up lifestyle as a factor, but is pretty much sold on the fact that if you have a high saturated fat slash cholesterol, the probability of something going wrong is high. But the reasoning was crazy because you know he's part of the medical establishment, and he was really caught up on these certain mechanisms that have been studied, as opposed to Kresser, which is saying, I'm not consider- I'm not concerned too much with the specific mechanisms. I'm looking at the whole picture. And, and it was very clear their scope. So Khan was saying, hey, this is, I'm not making this up. This is science, <laughs> you know? And Kresser is saying, yeah, but it's old. You know, it's forty right. years old, and it's and it's flawed. You know, he was basically saying that the the, the research was flawed. So they went back and forth. Um, I'm I'm still on the back and forth, but it was it was pretty. I think both of them have powerful positions. Although I don't necessarily believe in a, a vegan diet, but 
there's there's power in plant-based nutrition for sure i mean if you don't have it i think that you are missing some pieces um and with chris kresser it's just it it's much more rational it's more much more up to date they're looking at different markers i know functional medicine and integrative health or functional what is it functional integrative medicine are looking at different markers in the traditional cholesterol thyroid i mean they they look at all that but they're looking at other other markers right um and i think most importantly i think the functional and integrative medicine to my understanding since it's kind of off the grid in terms of what's reimbursed by insurance and it's most of the time cash based they're going to spend some time they actually have they could ask you about sleep they could act and actually that was discussed in this thing yep and when does the doctor ask you about your other habits no no never Sleep. <laughs> you okay? Usually. You know, I'm like, oh, you're right. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's yeah. your blood. Here's yeah. your yeah. here's your cath report. Uh, here's your blood pressure. Oh, all right, we're gonna give you this medication. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. I thought it was. I, I I heard the whole thing. I thought it was one of the most impressive um, things for the general public to hear about this information to date. I haven't read ev- everything or seen everything, but to have this discussion. It, I was less interested to hear the actual content and more interested to hear about how Chris Kresser broke down the flaws in the epidemiological research that Dr. Joel Kahn kept bringing up from the early years in the 70s and the 80s, who he was very attached to. And he was trying to dis- let Dr. Kahn understand that we now have more information regarding those observational studies that are weak in the scientific evidence community. So now we have things that include randomized control trials and a collection of randomized control trials, which is systematic reviews, meta-analysis, and that understanding on its own, if people can grasp on that, then they can have better education for themselves in regard to nutrition. The information, of course, was very important to talk about because, like you said, there was both sides, great information about plant-based nutrition, and then Chris Kresser had great information about other things, including plant-based, but also with uh, when you take into other factors, what happens when you eat meat. It's not just the meat. It's the type of meat. It's the other things that are happening with their behaviors of the people who eat those kinds of quote bad meat or tainted meat or whatever mm. it is or non-organic non tainted sounds horrible i know but no no but but byproducts a lot of it byproducts. Byproducts. so so a lot of the processed meats yes processed processed yeah, <laughs> yeah they're tainted. Not tainted. They're tainted it's not tainted cyanide it's a little si- i mean sometimes you get cyanide in your, your cheeseburger but no there's a processed meat you know deli meat yeah, processed 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 yes. and, and a lot of let's say you know the good old nugget of chicken nuggets <laughs> of, of all of, of any of any restaurant you know i don't want to single out any restaurant here there's but lots of nuggets. there's lots of different nuggets but those nuggets typically don't include much chicken mm. you know you have chicken knuckles chicken oh knuckles God, chicken, chicken knuckles. beaks oh. chicken feet Fuck. <laughs> <And then laughs> they, so throw, they throw a little salt pepper i'm doing that onions. because i used to eat that shit i know me too like man i had 20 i had 20 <laughs> nuggets at a sitting you know, because they were they were cheap and they were good. And hey, yeah, that, yeah, they're little, still out there. A little, a little sweet and sour. So what was the the, the sauces? Oh, the, um, yeah, yeah, sweet barbecue, and sour. Sweet and sour barbecue. You go for a little mix. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dunk your fries in there. Anyway, that's the kind of fat 
that both would agree that is 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 unfortunately part of the American diet, right? And that is causing all types of you know lifestyle diseases, whether it's blood pressure, cholesterol, heart attack, stroke, all all the all the big ones that are are killing a lot of people unnecessarily. Um. But the quality of meat you were mentioning. Yeah, quality meat, super important. And the other thing is, uh, d- uh, by the way, I-, I enjoyed listening to both these individuals. I have nothing against either one. I thought they were both fantastic in terms of the information. Uh, I was just very impressed by Chris Kresser because um, as someone who, it's it's hard to have a deep understanding of this research and being able to immediately equip yourself for this information and then kind of disseminate it on the spot. And he was doing that over and over again. Uh, there might have been one or two times where he had to read something, but I'm like, yeah, and they, you know, they caught him shit. on, not even caught him, but you know, they he couldn't back one one of his claims up, and that was the only time. By yeah, the way. that was one, yeah early on, and but the, Dr. Khan kept referring to the USDA as it's not always looking out for everyone's best interest. They yeah, have so many other man. interests in mind. Yeah, I mean, Lee and I were discussing this prior to the podcast, but you know, we think of that as the quote, you know. The, it's not the gold standard. I mean, mm. unfortunately, it's quite biased. As we know, big food, big pharma has a high influence on what's being disseminated. Mm-hmm. We know why wheat was at the bottom of the food. You know, we know that the wheat and even even dairy, you know. So corn. Corn. You know, it's, it's, we've been putting me on to this since. Um, <laughs> since PT th- school? Yeah, PT school, man. It started with the Laura uh, bar. And then look. It was Paul Check. A little kombucha. A little kombucha. I'm, this is my Tuesday kombucha <laughs> fix. But um, all, going back to um, USDA as the source, he kept referring. And he's like, hey, it's the USDA. It's right here. You know, it's a USDA. Kind of like dangling it like it's some kind of authority, which obviously it is an authority, mm-hmm. but you better understand how, why they're the authority. Right. Uh, and it's not, not because of uh, the, the unbiased information, but the amount of power that's put into the organization. Exactly. And there was, uh, he also, Dr. Khan kept bringing up this, uh, what they call blue zones, so in in the world, there's these places in uh, wherever wherever country it is, but in the United States, there's one California, Loma Linda, California, where there's a high percentage of Seventh Day Adventist uh, individuals who live into their uh, they, they call them centurions. So they live over a hundred. There's a very high percentage of those people, and he primarily Dr. Khan primarily attributed their longevity to the lack of meat that they're eating because they have usually you know no pork in their diet. Uh, I don't believe they eat red meat. They do eat fish, uh, things like that. And so, what you know, what what Chris Kresser was trying to open his eyes was open his eyes to was the fact that they also have a crapload of other lifestyle differences than the average American that they do. Community, belief, communities. You know, they have there. If if he learns about that religion, they have this the traditional Sabbath, which is sundown from Friday all the way to sundown to Saturday. And during that Sabbath, they don't engage in any work, or it's all about family, community, and that. What is that? What do you think that does to the heart? What do you think that does to the body? I mean, it's it anyway. So that that's a big part. And what he was trying to have him at least admit admit is that it's not just the meat that is helping them live right. longer. Right, and it's I all think these other things. These blue zones. There are a few places that I know. Okinawa is one in Japan, and I think in uh, in Greece somewhere. Greece, um, Sardinia. 
Yeah. It's another blue zone. And if you look at all of those cultures right there, the, the little that I know of those three cultures, family, um, family as in through the whole lifespan. Like, yeah. you know, here in the United States, if you hit a certain age, you become, quote, a grandparent, you might not be involved in certain activities. Maybe you'll have some kind of family activities that are seasonal. Right. But in these communities, they're, they're in a sense, everyone's a part of the culture, let's say. Right. You know, whether it's a two-year-old or a 95-year-old, everybody's connecting. A lot of these cultures also do a lot of farming. They do a lot of, um, I mean, we're going to call it farm to table, but fresh food. <laughs> Again, farm to table sounds a little too... Uh, it sounds so yeah, funny. Yeah, to me. yeah. farm to table. Like <laughs> bring the bring the pig right on here. Just put that head right over. Here. No, but I I think fresh food is is the, is a Super real simple. Yeah. Fresh food, fresh food. All these communities have have access to fresh food. So you know, going back to what Lee was saying, Doctor Khan, you know, it seemed to be focused on the saturated fat cholesterol situation. Yeah, and at one point it was funny because I I caught just. I'm looking at it from a different perspective just because some of this information I understand to a different level only because we talk about it with patients all the time, medications, stuff like that, right. interactions. And so at one point, Dr. Khan brought up this um, TMFO or whatever it is. They said it like a M-tor, million. M-tor, M-tor. I, I, don't, I don't know M-tor what it was. M-tor, and, and I'm surprised Joe Rogan hadn't brought this up, but his guy, you know, Peter Atia, who's all about ketogenic, yep. Yep. he's also into M-tor. He's into yeah. that. I think it was a different one. I, I, it's a different, but mTOR is, um, seems to be a, a longevity marker that they're looking at. I, I'm, okay. Is, it, is this the same thing as TFMO? Or is maybe it? not. No, that's something different. TFMO sounds... They said it over and over again. It was you hilarious. say TF and I'd get... Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> TFM. No, no. No, <laughs> um, no so they, apparently there was this... He Out of the blue, Dr. Khan brought up this thing about like, oh, you talked to this cardiologist and da-da-da, and they, they check out this marker of TMFO, 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 and then he and the, all of a sudden Joe's like, wait, what? You're talking about something totally different? And then he, he was trying to educate him what it was trying to educate Joe and then they uh, Chris Kresser had evidence regarding it specifically saying like that has been shown not to have anything to do with heart disease and he gave the research for it and Joe was like so what do you think about that and he was like oh well, it doesn't matter anyways because we're going to get a drug to block it anyways and he's like whoa 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 what do you mean just drug to block it anyways why don't we talk about what you think is going on with it and if it has to be like reduced why can't we reduce it with like exercise diet lifestyle anyway so right there that, that, that that's usually the mindset of i think i'm not going to put a, a general thing on it but a lot in the western md community specifically cardiologists surgeons because that's how they're thinking they're thinking not like all right well, well let's talk about preventative let's talk about lifestyle changes they're more like well chemically how can we alter this to not let this happen ever again and give them a drug to do it like the statins you know what and he talked briefly he really brushed over the statins he's like oh yeah we got statins now that lower cholesterol but there's all these side effects well yeah there's some serious side effects to those like people Everything should not has take an those. effect anything yes. we put in our body Positive or negative has an effect, and I think when tinkering with, let's say, with anything in the system, you know, you, yes, you're controlling for cholesterol, you're sopping up, you're cleaning up the artery, whatever, however you want to perspe- perceive it. But then you have this muscle muscle pain, or you have this. There's always a there's always there's 
It's a lot of side effects. There are. I mean, those are the ones we know about. Never mind what's going to happen when all these people get older and maybe have other side effects. And some people believe like it's decreasing bone density and it's leaching bone and stuff like that. So it's, it's crazy. So on the topic, mm. this is right on. Oh, what is this? Is this this, is, is, this just come out? Just came out. Fresh off the press. Powerful. So, so I'll, I'll, as Lee's scanning through it, I'll discuss what I, I found. Um, Jesus. So, New York Times article. I'm not sure when it was published. It might today, have been today. Today, October 2nd. There we go. So, Gina Collada. Oh, God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so, Mrs. Collada, Miss Collada. She doesn't like PT, but that's cool. Um, she doesn't like cholesterol drugs any, uh, either, but there seems to be a new cholesterol drug that is more effective than some of the current statins out there um, when given to patients with high cholesterol whether it's genetic or lifestyle it significantly reduces their cholesterol um, anyway it seems to be super effective but it's super expensive and recently people that want to get access to this drug have been denied because the insurance companies say that there's no proof that this is any better than the current statins that they have reduced the prices on. Um, so um, They got big investments. They in got those big statins. investments in those statins, exactly. Their so, stock prices would drop if they have a new drug. Yeah. <laughs> it's um so this 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 go they do kind of quote um, another liver a liver drug that's eighty four thousand dollars or more to, to get per this person? Per, per per yeah, per per course of treatment. Damn. Eighty four thousand. So this this particular drug, let me just pull it up because they did give a number. It was, oh, there we go. Here we go. Drug companies gave the PCSK9 inhibitors exorbitant price tags. The list figure was as high as $14,600 per year, although payers generally negotiate much lower prices. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> but... but, um, but Insurers balked at the cost and questioned the effectiveness of the new drug. And again, I don't know enough to know that what this drug, how similar it is, but this is just another one of access, pharmaceutical, health insurance, and yeah, and the same story goes on. It's crazy. I mean, the the amount of money that's being spent into creating these things and yet it that take that amount of money it took to make that drug oh, just and then and then just invest in like god you could open up a school of like teaching conservative management to patients and you could pay for it for like oh, this, several decades this, this paragraph will sum everything up oh god quote the science behind these drugs is astonishing but the price is also astonishing said dr stephen miller the chief medical officer at express scripts oh the largest pharmacy benefit manager in the United States. In quotes, it says, it's being acquired by Cigna, the health insurer. <laughs> so until recently, there was no study showing the drugs did anything except lower cholesterol drugs, Dr. Miller added. Payers resisted in part because the manufacturers needed to show that PS, PCSK9 inhibitors also prevented heart attacks and strokes and saved lives. At the given expense, doctors needed to show patients really uh, show that patients really needed the powerful drugs and not the cheaper alternatives. Statins cost around 250 a year. So that's a big difference. $14,600 $14, 
as opposed to 250 for the year. Wow. So, yeah, blah, blah, blah. people get very angry when deductibles go up or when their premiums or cost share goes up. But the price of expensive drugs is coming out of somewhere. The companies make these drugs, Amgen and Regeneron, note the list price, blah, 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 Amgen, both company, blah, 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 insurance insists to fill out authorization. For, oh, look at this. Insurance? Insurance. <laughs> I heard authorization oh, in there. Oh, <laughs> we got some pre-auth here. Oh, so the doctors are dealing with this drama too. So mm. insurers insisted doctors fill out pre-auth forms, pre-authorization forms, describing why their patient needed the drugs. That's the new thing for them, by the way. I'm sure that they haven't done that before. <laughs> the practice is not unusual for expensive treatments, but in the case of the oh, sorry. yeah, exp- yeah, the pr- is not unusual. So we're considered expensively. So wait, let, let me get this straight. So they they want them to fill that out to get the you know the author- pre authorization for this expensive drug, fourteen thousand a year. Right, right. So we did the, a really brief calculation on physical therapy, and it's nowhere near that amount even if you went the out of network route and you had like the maximum amount of treatment you're getting like a fraction of fourteen thousand dollars and we have to do auth all the fucking time yeah so uh, that is insane yeah the practice is not unusual for expensive drugs but the case for ps9 the list in the byzantine or in or long complicated but Mm. uh and while pre-authorization forms for other drugs require only doctor's verifications of patient's medical history yep the PCSK9 inhibitor form usually requires proof, including a long medical records that often have been, that often have to be faxed. Oh, poor skittish, them. They have to fax it? Skittish insurers have <laughs> denied patients without clear reason or asked for additional data that was unavailable. Oh, man. Of course, some insurers' examples are required in or testing or documentation. They may want to know every statin you ever tried or force you to try statins that make no sense, like trying Simvisc, another statin, (laughs) when you've already tried three other statins. Insurers had, had asked for documentation on cholesterol levels when the patient was not taking statins. But many have been taking statins for years and have changed their doctor several times in, in the interim. The kind of documentation could be impossible to find. Well, why are they asking for it? Right. What? Well, to deny you. Uh, mm. After a doctor applied for a patient to get the drugs, it could also take weeks or for insurers to issue a denial. Then the doctor has to resubmit the form for appeal. For insur- this, this insurers would rather not cover such expensive patients... So this goes on and on, guys. I'm going to put this in the the show notes. Definitely in the show notes. This is this is a show. It's it's a long one, but uh, it's it's pretty crazy. That's nuts. I I just think about that. But again, take the take one drug, and it doesn't even have to be like a crazy successful drug. But on average, who knows how much they make, or sorry, how much it costs to to put together a drug, and take that money. And literally put it into something where it doesn't have to be PT. It just has to be education. Like uh, teach a patient about lifestyle changes. T- teach them about... Nutrition. Nutrition, yeah. And, and what contributing factors can 
um, contribute to like high cholesterol, which is not even now, in my opinion, from what I know from the research, from listening to Chris Kresser, is not a really a big factor unless you you hit a certain stage and or you have other factors going on. So what's more important is, let's say, diet and stress and sleep and alcohol. That's a little bit more important. Um, so like educate a patient about that, like have them disseminate that podcast and like put it on a pamphlet and that would cost like freaking nothing, nothing, 50 bucks. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll make it up staples, on uh, online. No, it's, it's um, pretty crazy. It's, it's wild. But again, there's a lot of, um, a lot of money going into giving sure. drugs. Yeah. You know, so it's very backwards right now. And that's what we, we get frustrated a lot in, in the podcast talking about, certain procedures that occur here in the United States because we're really we really are in the middle of it and we we have to educate and build a relationship with that patient and sometimes we just want to say to them like you know the path that you are being told to go down is probably the, the not the most efficient path and probably not the most beneficial right now for you and it's hard from us because our we've said it before we're kind of lower on the totem pole than uh, other pieces or other people in there in the pie, but yeah. you know, I was talking to Lee about this with the patients that have unlimited access. A lot of these, like the gentleman, the basketball gentleman that I was discussing, he um, he's he wants to work, and um, I, he'll do anything you tell him to do to to work towards it. the The challenge is a lot of people that have these conditions. Let's say a knee pain, back pain. You know, the the idea of having to change their behavior let's say 10 minutes a day 20 minutes a day for eight weeks or six weeks or four weeks you know a lot of people don't want to quote do that work when they feel like well isn't there an easier path so they see the surgery as a quote a fix and one has to be edgy nobody's really except us right now no one is Mm -hmm. speaking on a microphone saying hey there's other options out here by the way you're being a little lazy Mm. You got to take ownership for your back pain right now. You've really been sitting on your, you know what? You've been sitting on your ass for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Something's gonna hurt. You know, you got to, you got to get up. Right. So, and I don't mean to generalize and say everybody with lower back pain is out of shape or yada yada. But some injuries and some do require the patient to take ownership and say, "Hey, I, I need to change X." So. um did you see that uh, Jocko's book is like number one, like mm-hmm. number one on the top uh, on Amazon bestselling list, uh, New York um, Times bestselling? What's the name of it? The dichotomy, of really. Dichotomy, yeah. <laughs> that was so cool, man. He and he when he the first day he was on there, he showed the number two book, and it was some like really famous book. I can't think of it right now, um, but he's super excited that about is it. Cool, man. Uh, yeah, he's it's very impressive. He's doing a book tour now. Um, I got. I'm gonna get that. I mean, I, I didn't see the. I didn't read the first one. Uh, Extreme ownership. Yeah. But I do know someone. Brian actually was telling me about it. Um, great book. Yeah. It was. It was pretty cool. So, and the reason why I thought of that is because you said you got to have some ownership. And and I think when we have patients and we have to educate them, we're trying to educate them on the fact that they're the ones in charge of what's going to happen and uh, to their injury and how quickly they can get better and. And uh, how their body's going to respond? It's you know we're just here as a catalyst. We're yeah, just... we're here to help. Don't get me wrong. We're here yeah. as a as a guide. We're here to help them sift through all the information. We're here to give them some tools that they could take with them, you know, with or without us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
again, it's one of the most empowering things you could tell a patient is, you know, you'll be able to manage this. What do you mean? You're going to be able to, you'll get better, you mm-hmm. know? And I don't want to use the second word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious how uh, Jordan couldn't, he, he's just got... Yeah, man, it's traumatizing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's freaking traumatizing. I, I don't know if I have it's any piece, other it, words. I, no, I, I I get it. There's definitely a little PTSD involved with it. And I, you talk to everybody who has, is not there anymore, and it seems the theme is the same. It's like, you know, after a couple months, it takes it takes a while. I think it's like six months, man. Yeah, we know somebody who think it took a little longer than that, and they they can start working again and. They feel a bit better about themselves. <laughs> it's like an abusive relationship. I can I can equate it to that. And the reasoning why is like you have like all these things at face value, right? And then all the things that are really bad that are happening to you, you kind of like put to the wayside because you look at those things that are like okay at face value. And that's dangerous because then those bad things can get kind of really wear you down and really change your perception of other things. And you worked really hard to get where you are. And so... Don't t- don't look at those things that you know everyone keeps telling you from the top. They're like, oh well, you have this, this, and this. Don't complain. So for all you new grads <laughs> that are trying to work through our metaphorical now the uh, chat here, it's basically when you're looking at an employer and you got benefits, you got a nice salary, you have vacation. I wouldn't say nice. You have you have an average. You salary. have an average, not nice salary. <laughs> Maybe nice. For you that you don't know. Right. Right. You're getting out of school. You're like, wow, it goes from paying for school to getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. Horrible. But um, <laughs> you're not getting paid. You know, but but anyway, so you go, Lee said it right on the map. You got all these, like, for face value, these things are going on. And then as you start working, you're like, wow, I got all these tasks to do. And mm. my notes, there's never enough time for the notes. Um, and then there's all these procedures and policies and I got to ask for this and I got to give notice on that. They hired somebody else to do that? Yeah. Three so more people? They're they got, paying 100 grand to they, do that? They got that. <laughs> so then you got to step back and ask yourself, what are the, what, what's really going on? And at least just mention, how are you feeling? I mean, obviously it's normal for a new grad to be a little overwhelmed. You're getting patient, dealing with patients every day is, is can be difficult if, mm. you know, if you're not self-aware enough to take a step back and have some time to rest and recuperate your own self. But, um, so all of these things are going on. And, and again, the question you got to ask yourself is, you know, whose best interest are the owners thinking about? You know, right. um, there was a very interesting post that you sent me mm. from our boy, uh, Poulter. Oh yeah. I did want to highlight that. That, that. that was that cool. Is, that is a really cool one. And this goes right in line with what we were discussing. I'll let Lee, Lee found this and gave it to me, but, that last sentence is golden. Yeah. So um, if you don't know who David Poulter is, he is a seasoned clinician and he, uh, I'll have to look at my phone here. Um, he, oh, thank you. <clears throat> he has the handle, uh, I guess this is David Poulter. He, I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I thought he had the. <laughs> it was, he was like. <laughs> I thought he had the Rhett Looping no. handle. I'm sorry. No, that's, um, I was, I was, that's uh, just oh, it it's Rhett Looping. It's Rhett Looping. Oh, uh, it's funny. He's the creator of Rhett Looping, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. So he, if you don't know what Rhett Looping is, it's something that he came up with. And if you look at what Rhett Looping is, it's his last name backwards. Um, so you didn't know that? <laughs> yeah, uh, wow. Because I always used to say, what the fuck what is Rhett Looping? 
Wow, that is nuts. You... <laughs> yeah. I, someone told me that like back in the day. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, He's a, he is. I, we had the the um, the honor to have a little lecture from him for a day. He great great clinician, great educator. Yes, and very well spoken, knows his stuff, and a no BS kind of guy. And he's a, he's an example of a successful PT. So yes, yes. From, I, I don't know the exact details from my impression from what he told us is that he's doing well and he's able to have a lifestyle where he teaches and occasionally treats and he's doing well. Like I, I, that's as far as I can go. Right, I mean, right, right. He, he, um, he, he, I would aspire to be where he is at his age. Yes. And, um, and, and as happy as he is. Yes. Um, Funny, so funny guy, funny guy, yeah. <laughs> and I think he's from—he's not Australian. I think he's from the UK originally. I yes, believe. So he had a tweet recently, and um, I'm quoting him here: "To all the new grad PTs struggling with real world of daily patient care in the U.S., empathy. Remember, <laughs> the patient is the most important part of your day. Not billing codes, ICD-10 codes." Medicare G codes, yeah. EMR is a tool. Don't let it dictate your care. Be there for your patients. Right. And I, I couldn't say it any better than that. I mean, and the be there is in caps. Be there. <laughs> be there is in caps. So be there for your patients. So everything else is kind of noise, you know. Um, yeah. And again, so many things get unlocked. You know, when you start thinking about the note, the ICD nine code, the G code, whatever the hell it is, it's like you start to lose track that there's a person on the other side here. And if you if you were to just focus on them, you'd be able to really help them out. Yeah. Um, and like you said, like I think it's tougher when you're a new grad because it's, it's it's tougher to compartmentalize those things. Yes. And you you have people saying to you, "We gotta write the note. You gotta write everything <laughs> here, and you gotta have all this <laughs> clinical information." Well, no, you don't. You have to treat the patient, and so. Treat the one in front of you. I I I see now, every, and I, I I talked about it nearly every podcast. I'll yeah. mention it. <laughs> uh, th- they're seasoned therapists who were so friggin' you know hard bent, hell bent on the documentation that if they don't put a period after every letter, then they are not doing the documentation right. Or if they if you don't include what you did exactly to the T in time and you add on this and da 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 in the note, then you're a shitty physical therapist and they're miserable people. They're miserable people. And th- you don't want to be like, don't aspire to be that miserable person when you're 10 years out of school, 15 years out of school, aspire to be the better clinician. They exist, by the way. They don't, they don't have to be 10, they don't have to be new grads. Right, that's true. They could be 10 years and still focusing on crossing their T's and dotting their I's. Too much. Too much. Focus on the patient. The, the patient is going to present to you enough things to focus on for the entire time. You don't need to add this bureaucracy of note-taking. And and we talked about it a little bit last time was the fact that when you do an eval and you start to document in front of them, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I understand that there are standards of you know uh, timeliness that you have to get the note yes, out. Yes. I totally get it. You can manage it other ways. You can have a little piece of paper, yes. make small notes as you go, keep eye contact, and then you can also uh, write the note later, or you can you can cut the eval a little short and and start the note. I don't. You, there's yes. so many different options you could do. Yeah, I, I agree with. I mean, that's we've def I've definitely mentioned this on the podcast. But one of my pet peeves with like documentation in front of a patient. 
especially, especially with an evaluation yep. where the person is, you know, can be vulnerable, can, they're, they're, you know, their antennas are up. They're trying to feel everything out. Is this right for me? They don't, they might even have a, a clue about what's going to go down. And here's this person, you know, with their face inside of a computer. Um, it, it, I, I've seen it countless, of t- countless times where there's a level of disengagement there's a constant level of disengagement, and then the therapist proceeds, you know, and and questions why this person doesn't even really respect them because it's it, it, they don't feel listened to. They there don't, it is, you know, yeah. they don't they don't feel listened to. And I think if you listen to your patients and your patients know you're listening to them, there's a huge buy-in right there. And and again, it's authenticity can be felt. And um, good luck if you try to fake it. Right, <laughs> especially and, here in New York. It's <laughs> true, and and if you're following along with like an EMR as you, you're doing it, you're only asking them what the EMR wants you to ask, and you're literally asking them these like pain. End, end, How do you feel pain? Endpoint questions. What makes like, it better? <laughs> what makes it worse? With your past medical history, <laughs> with your current <laughs> medication. Okay, dude, it's just have a conversation with you them, build that disease? relationship. You have heart disease? Any surgeries recently? No, 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 no. I don't want to know about that one. Um, that's appendix, not in the appendix, note here. Append, appendix doesn't matter. That was twenty years ago. That's okay. I I'll give a little analogy and a little drill, a drill um, exercise <laughs> that you can do with your with your patients. Imagine you were on the other side. Would you date yourself after that conversation you had initially? Uh, very, that's a cool. One. That's would you cool date yourself? I mean, you don't have to be weird about it, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you just, would you like if you had that same conversation? Would you want to be with that person again in another that's conversation? Not, this is what people. This is a lot. A lot of therapists don't realize. Yeah. Just because you're a quote, Doctor Joe, um, doesn't really mean that the person. Is gonna want to see you for seven to eight weeks, whatever they would say. I, I just threw that all the way up. No, eight weeks, seven, eight 16 weeks, sixteen visits, sixteen visits, about right, you know. So, let's go on the low spectrum of four visits, four visits, four hours, yeah, maybe two hours, whatever it is. If this is this person gonna want to see you mm-hmm. after you just told them. You need your posture is bad. No, 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 no. That's horrible. No, no, no. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go. I don't want to expose. She ain't listening. But no, <laughs> definitely not. But no, that, that's a great analogy. Just like, you, guys, you got to sell yourself a little and not, not hmm. by misinformation. If anything, shine. Right. Let them see what you have to offer, what what options you have, what, what you have in your tool belt. Most importantly, what you have to offer them. You right. know what? What kind of different perspective? And it, you don't have to go wild about different. Maybe they are getting. I mean, in some cases, I've gotten a lot of patients of of recently that have come from other therapists that are no longer in the industry or dealing with other things, and they've had um, they've had good clinicians. So I'm complimenting what the other person worked on with them. Right. Or hey, that's a great that's great insight. I'm glad you got that information. Build upon it, you know, build on that. Hey, we're going to build on that experience. It, it doesn't happen as frequently as the reverse, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, sell yourself, guys. Yeah. In a good way. Have a conversation. Um, we have a little time. I just really wanted to only touch on it if, if you're, excuse me, if you're down for it. <laughs> God, he burps in the microphone so many times. 
It's get it's getting choked, man. I guess. Little... True. I got choked a lot today. Oh my god. We were practicing <laughs> uh, triangles in the drilling part, and I had a partner who was really really good at it, and he was just trying to have me line up my leg to the carotid, and we were doing like slow tightening, and then he ca- when he did it, he did the same thing. We did it so many times, and I was like. <gasps> Wow, I'm having trouble breathing in between <laughs> these reps. That's but, nice, man. That, yeah, it was. It, it's good. a crazy. Um, it, when you get that triangle choke, that's uh, a tight one. It's a very tight one. Yeah, it's hard. Um, speaking of that, the, <laughs> the triangle chokes. Triangle chokes. Uh, this weekend, October sixth, is UFC two twenty nine, and it's going to be Khabib, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name, uh, and Conor McGregor, and. We've been uh, UFC has been waiting for this fight forever, at least a year. And so I went. I couldn't remember when McGregor fought last in the UFC. I think it was November 2016 when he fought Alvarez, and he uh, yeah he beat Eddie Alvarez for the belt. And then also McGregor fought in August 2017 for Mayweather. Oh, that was a good one. And th- recently the um, which call it the the press that he. McGregor refused to do any press for this fight because he did so much for the Mayweather one, and it, he says that it totally affected the way he fought. And I, I absolutely believe that. I mean, did you see the mess that the Mayweather stuff? Oh, it was nonstop. You yeah. know, he was different just, countries and jabbering a lot, and and yeah. that's part of his um his he's a great promoter. Um, he is. But I think with this situation, um, I don't know much. I've seen a little of the Khabib gentleman, and no joke. So he's, he's not, incredible. you know, this isn't going to be a, a walk in the park for either of them. No. I, uh, I My prediction is <clears throat> Khabib takes him in the second round and he uses what, you know, Joe Rogan refers to as his mauling part of him, which he just basically just holds the guy down and it just dominates him on the ground and it beats him to uh, a TKO. And I think he'll get a TKO on him. But um, is he a choker, or is any of these guys well, Khabib, submission people? He's a wrestler. His background is wrestling, traditional Russian, a Russian sambo, mm-hmm. and then obviously jujitsu. But he also has very powerful punches. His his kicking game is not that great, but he he really wins by submissions, TKOs. He's undefeated. Um, I think yeah, he's twenty six and zero. Um, but McGregor does have a very dangerous left. Uh, left cross and if he gets that off which I don't think he can on Khabib only because I think Khabib is southpaw as well so they're going to be matching up the same so it's going to be harder for McGregor to get it so the only way McGregor in my opinion could get this is in the first round and he knocks him out completely and a quick little slip yeah and and, but uh, again Khabib has been hit before and he's able to move around really well and no one's been able to stop him He's, he's really impressive. Very cool. We're going to have the, the results on our next podcast. That's right. But I think uh, just the energy that I don't know if you've been feeling at Henzo's recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of uh, big fights. I think Neem, Bellator. Yeah, Bellator. You got Neiman Gracie. Um, and then two other fighters who are going to be in Bellator. Yeah, I think um, Hobson. Which uh, is oh, that's right. Yeah, Hobson. Hobson and that. Hobson is next week. And I don't know about Neiman. I don't know. Are they fighting on the same day? I don't know. I gotta that would be that. pretty cool. But um, but anyway, <coughs> watching my humble, my little white belt class where I'm, I'm working on like four, three different positions for the last year and change. Um, you see these other guys, um, animals, man. But and it's so focused, man. That having fun, but the level I was stretching on the top floor yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm watching this guy shadow box. I'll leave his name out, mm. but he's shadow boxing, wait, waiting for his coach. And the level of um, focus this gentleman had, you could tell there's like, not, I wouldn't call it fear. I think it's just caution. But then the trainer comes in like, hey, how was the weekend? He was like, Saturday, Sunday. He's like, where's your rest? You know, they they had an exchange and I, I just have this utmost respect. I mean, I was never really into watching the UFC. Mm. After jujitsu, I understand what what the training, well, a percentage of the training entails. Watching yeah. these guys like today, there's a, it was a comp class. Yeah, the and, sparring. Uh, yeah, and Henzo taught. Henzo popped up. Henzo I saw was, him at the end there. Yeah, man, he That's was. Awesome. You know, you could hear him from the third floor. Yeah, <laughs> but um, pretty, pretty, pretty amazing to be in the room with that gentleman, man. He's yeah. uh, he's quite a quite a character in a really positive way. Yeah, and I I love being there when the that chaos is going on with the sparring class because you really feel the energy from them, all these incredibly high level athletes engaging in like really serious training. They're hyper focused, either preparing for a fight or like winding down from a fight, whatever it is. I I think that's the coolest thing, and then to be around that energy is also helpful for your training because it it, it gives you that that focus and or at least assists in that. Oh, you just know you're in the room with you know a bunch of driven people and mm. you know if you're in the locker room with these guys they look like animals outside but when you bump into them they're like oh excuse me they're, you know, they're, they're, nice and they're polite. always nice and polite you don't know who you're gonna bump into no. um but yeah, there was at least six or seven maybe even 10 professional fighters there today that's incredible sure. i'm having it. a good time so cool Cool. I think. Did you have any closing? No, I think it's just uh, jujitsu for life. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I th- for life. <laughs> but um, no. Well, oh, we do have a new ge- a guest coming on at the end of October. We have the uh, uh, 16th, uh, Mr. Doctor Steve Horney. Steve Horney. Wow. So, yeah. Mr. Horney is going to join us. Is it next week, Dia de Sarah? No, I th- either. I should know this. We'll double check that. We'll double Possibly check. But we will have a physical therapist on. <laughs> we're going to have somebody here. We'll have somebody on. And, sh- and Sarah Sarah Curry is a registered dietitian. She will be talking nutrition and talking about her journey um, in bo- bodybuilding slash figure contest. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a pretty cool one. So stay tuned. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we're signing off. Signing off. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 